You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Hey, want to welcome back um, someone who I've really built a uh, industry friendship with, someone who we can trust that's going to update us on PBM reform. This is complex, and it's complex because not only is it specific to the pharmacy care, whether that's our community pharmacy specialty pharmacy where we know that rare diseases are extending um, the need for formulary management as well as pharmacist involvement in communicating what's happening to the patient during uh, transitions of care back to the payer back to our physicians that's the i want to also bring up our seniors some of the most fragile citizens out of 330 million throughout the united states is our seniors and senior care. That's why we absolutely love when we get an opportunity to talk with Alan Rosenblum with Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. Alan, it's great to have you back. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to be back, and I appreciate uh, your kind words uh, of introduction. Well, that's the truth. Every time we follow up, every time we have you on the show, I get a bunch of new tweets, people following us on uh, LinkedIn, wanting to know more. And hopefully that's bringing more connections and memberships back to Senior Care uh, Pharmacy Coalition, because if we don't have fellow pharmacies that are working on and participating in changing policy throughout the country, it's not going to change by itself. We know the PBMs are are fat and happy and they don't want it to change. And it's your organization that's helping to push and advance uh, policy changes in, in partnership with other organizations. A shout out to Chad Wurz and his team over at the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists and how you've worked extremely well with that group. And um, it's just good to have you back because we're going to be talking about some updates on the long-term care pharmacy definition and what that means for uh, follow-up and how far, how much further we have to push to get that um, into policy, into law. And I just want to give you the floor now, uh, Alan, to give us an update on that. Uh, excuse me, happy to do it, Todd. And I also want to echo that, you know, we try and often, you know, very, more often than not succeed very well in collaborating not only with ASCP, but also with uh, the National Community Pharmacists Association, NCPA, on issues of common of, of common concern relevant to long-term care pharmacies. And I'm confident that'll continue. The definition bill that you allude to is one of those. It was actually developed, the, the original you know, text we were hoping to get into law was developed collaboratively by the three organizations. And uh, we got, uh, the way I like to describe it is achingly close to passing the bill in December. We had been at, you know, kind of a an approach avoidance or, you know, start, fitful starts and stops on trying to move the bill forward until really the first week in December of last year when uh, the logjam broke 
uh, with uh, with particularly with respect to the Senate Finance Committee uh, Democratic Majority Staff, Senator Wyden is the chair. And um, uh, at the end of the first week of December, we kind of came to the point where there were just a couple of issues left to resolve between his staff, the long-term care pharmacy community, and um, CMS. And so we we agreed to some changes to the bill uh, once we had assured ourselves that the purposes of the bill wouldn't be undermined by those changes. And just as a reminder for for you know your listeners, we set out to enact the, the definition bill for a couple of reasons. The first is that long-term care pharmacies are regularly whipsawed between regulatory agencies. On the one hand, you have the CMS regulations and, and guidance, which understands long-term care and understands long-term care pharmacy. And then you have other group, other agencies like the FDA or the DEA that really don't. And too often there were proposals where, or there were changes where those other agencies were doing things that might have been very good policy for people who are living in the community, or for example, for compounding pharmacies, you know, after the a disastrous situation with the New England compounding pharmacy, uh, you know, early in the in the 2010s, but made no sense at all for long-term care pharmacies or um, the people that they serve, the seniors that they serve. Similarly, because there isn't a legislative definition, when Congress is considering legislation, there's no internal mechanism to determine whether or not there are some unique characteristics relevant to long-term care pharmacies and the patients they serve that need to be taken into account at the start of drafting bills, right? And so that means that we often are in, you know, continuous discussions about changing this and creating an exception for that and so forth and so on. And we're not always successful, but if there were legislation, then there would be an internal congressional vetting process before a bill was introduced that would help us prevent those circumstances from arising. And that's particularly relevant, frankly, this year, because Congress has to reauthorize the Support Act, which was a bill that was passed in 2018 and was basically a whole variety of measures designed to deal with um, uh, the opioid crisis. And so that has to be re-upped for another five years. Uh, in that bill, there were six different provisions that did not make sense for long-term care pharmacies that we were only able to successfully change Five of them. And we're hoping that this year, you know, with the definition effort continuing, we'll be able to prevent uh, and maybe get the fifth one, fifth one, sixth one fixed and prevent other, you know, bright ideas that don't work for, for our, 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 you know, constituents. Uh, and then finally, we were aware and remain aware that, you know, expansion of long-term care pharmacy at home opportunities yeah. for pharmacies remains high on the agenda. So we wanted to make sure that the bill and the changes to the bill didn't interfere with that in any way. And we're, we're confident not only that it doesn't interfere, but it actually improves the situation uh, for expansion uh, as compared to the bill that was originally introduced. So we're using that as a predicate to try to get the bill done this year. And all of the work that we and others, including ASCAP and NCPA, did over the past two years uh, positions us very well to move quickly such that we are very hopeful the bill will get done this year. It'll be passed and it'll become law, you know, effective next year. So that's where we stand on the definition. Thank you for that, Alan. It's frustrating when I watch um, 20 years ago in pharmacy, CMS has a specific reimbursement policy in place to reimburse through dispensing fee, the standard vanilla prescription for the community environment. 
which could be anything from complex medication that's going to need a lot of follow-up versus an antibiotic that's not even a, it's not a, a big deal. And today, when we have to dig into medications dispensed specific to a prescription uh, chart, uh, specialized packaging, um, identifying potential adverse uh, drug reactions that are ongoing for the adjustments to medications for seniors specifically that may have a condition that comes up that now tells your physician pharmacist teams things need to change. Those changes take time. They take um, um, a very detailed review of a senior care pharmacist who really knows what's going on in that specific uh, fragile senior's life and then access to timely medications for 24 by seven uh, days a week um, delivery, as well as follow-up, maybe in emergency situations and more of our skilled nursing environments, and then um, definitions of what is emergency to sp um, supply. You just said um, the world of the opioid um, epidemic that's out there. I'm talking about Narcan, which is now being, uh, you know, um, debated as to is it over the counter is it not over the counter how does that tie in and then the world of home care my goodness we've done so much on home care and how community pharmacies like acor rx out of pittsburgh that's a closed door community pharmacy i've never heard of a closed door community pharmacy but guess what he serves his community in a retail fashion but he does all of this long-term care services from packaging to follow-up to consultancy doesn't fit a traditional long-term care model where we had a facility or assisted living or skilled where we had the pharmacist and the physician teams in one vicinity or one location. And it's all changing. Tr dramatic changes are, are taking place in the way that our citizens are, are living and our consumers in the United States are living. And it's so refreshing for me to hear you say this because you're keeping up with the times to adjust for the influx of baby boomers and seniors that are now in the system. It couldn't happen faster. I mean, in, in my opinion, this should have maybe taken place five years ago, but at least we're here. And it's exciting to hear you with the updates. So I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Todd, just to elaborate on that point, and I will also uh, share your shout out to a CORRX who also happened to be SCPC members. But one of the things we've we've come to appreciate is that although they're still in early phases. There are a number of long-term care pharmacies that are in the at-home market in very creative ways. AcorRx is one of them, but there are you know pharmacies that uh, work closely with PACE programs. There are pharmacies that are part of special needs plans under Medicare Part C, all of which put long-term care pharmacy into various community settings for you know those folks who are living at home but could you know who need a long-term level of care right and and increasingly the you know the analysis is is demonstrating that you know if you do the things that you just listed the kind of services that you just listed and if you do them in certain ways it really improves outcomes for people who need them need long-term care but are living at home and reduces overall health care costs so the challenge from one of the challenges from a public policy perspective is making that case, proving to the satisfaction of policymakers generally, and in particular, to you know the Congressional Budget Office, to CMS, to the you know the, the uh, Executive Office of Management and Budget, that those savings are real, as a predicate for what really I think is the way policy we want to try to drive policy, 
which is towards not towards trying to figure out how to jam all of the jam appropriate compensation for the costs that, of the services you just outlined into a dispensing fee, but rather to create a f- separate funding stream that that appropriately compensates pharmacies for providing those services, right? And uh, so that's where I think th- that's where I think we want to try to drive policy. Sort of SCPC is certainly focused on that. You're probably familiar that there is, uh, with the fact that there is now a group of long-term care pharmacies, as well as the the three trade groups that we've we've mentioned, and others who are working on uh, a long-term care pharmacy at home initiative, yeah, uh, and that that is organized around the concept of, you know, determining who's eligible for long-term care pharmacies for services regardless of where they live, right, and then identifying the services that are most necessary to, you know, improving outcomes and reducing costs so that you're sure that the pharmacies that are providing those services are capable of doing it. And well, and, you know, that's a little bit different from how do you define long-term care pharmacy? Because theoretically, uh, any pharmacy, as long as they are capable of providing those services, you know, should be able to participate regardless of whether they're denominated long-term care pharmacies you know, for example, under state law or not, because some states have a long-term care pharmacy definition too, right? And so, and so those two things, I think, are the right way to be thinking about it. What are the patient characteristics that these services benefit? What are those services so you're making sure they're available? And then how do you pay for them? And paying for them ought to be something different from let's negotiate a dispensing fee. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and sometimes it's not even the service is necessary, especially when you start adding in chronic conditions or conditions that could be um, minimized in, in yeah. impacting that with that um, that senior's life. Sometimes it's not even it's not even about the prescription or the NDC that's attached to the treatment. It might be something else outside of that that we say, hey, let's run a PGX test on this senior to make sure that they're even absorbing the medication correctly. And that test outside of that dispensing fee needs to be compensated. And the analysis of the data needs to be followed up with a senior care pharmacist that really understands that individual patient's situation versus exactly. you know, another patient. So this is um this is exciting. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you know, one of our I was talking last week with one of our members who whose pharmacy has uh, agreements with a number of PACE programs, right? And he pointed out something that would never have occurred to me, which is that in interacting with the program and the and the physicians who are doing the prescribing of medications for you know folks who need long-term care but are living at home, one of the issues that arise is, doctor, why did you prescribe this medication to be taken three times a day or four times a day? Because these are these these are folks who you know are not totally homebound. And so it's much easier for them to take their meds around breakfast and dinner when they're in the house, not when they're out in the community doing other stuff, you know, and and isn't it better to, you know, prescribe higher doses twice a day, even though that's not technically perfect, as opposed to lower doses four times a day, then only get taken twice. (laughs) That kind of thinking, which, which, you know, doctors aren't going to think about, payers aren't going to think about. Frankly, I don't even think, you know, visiting nurses might. But they might not. But a but a a qualified pharmacist trained in a geriatric kind of pharmacist is is going to is going to be aware of that. So it, you know it can even be something as as you know non non technical, if you will, as as 
simply that kind of interaction with physicians. And those things are going to make a difference, make a difference in adherence, make a difference in, um, you know, helping to prevent people from ending up in emergency rooms and being admitted to hospitals and ultimately being admitted to long-term care facilities. So it's really, you know, that that's really, I think, where the, where the value is, you know? I agree. Hey, when we uh, when we return, I do have some questions specifically around this bill. So um, let's take a pause for a, um, a message from our sponsor. And, and we'll be right back with the PBM Reform podcast series. Long term care pharmacies are always on the hunt for ways to scale their business and ensure they're a solutions partner for their nursing home and skilled facility customers. Now, with the aging baby boomer generation projected to increase the number of Americans ages 65 and older from 46 million to more than 95 million by 2060, the demand for long term care has never been greater, and neither have the growth opportunities for LTC pharmacies. Framework LTC is a long term care pharmacy software designed to improve scale. Scalability. This platform is incredibly effective for scaling your LTC pharmacy business. It starts with your workflow management, designed around your operations. Framework LTC was designed with long-term care intricacies in mind, which provide a number of different features unavailable with a retail pharmacy software. Framework LTC helps to accomplish these seven critical categories. Streamlined workflows, automated manual tasks, custom services to meet unique needs of different facilities, gain better visibility into your operations, make data-driven decisions, curb your billing complexities, and manage new services. Learn more at frameworkltc.com. That's frameworkltc.com. Hey, we're back. Hey, listen, I wanted to jump into this. There's a quote that I want to read to you, Alan. It says, this common sense legislation would ensure clarity and consistency for our long-term care pharmacies without adding costs to our healthcare system. This was said by Senator Scott. He went on to say that I urge my colleagues to support this bipartisan bill, which will make it easier for the important sector to navigate regulatory confusion and allow them to care and provide for our nation's seniors. And I applaud uh, Senator Scott for um, participating in being active in this bill and changes to this bill. And I want to give a shout out to um, long-term care pharmacy operators and let them know your lawmakers in your specific state are not going to proactively go out all by themselves and search out all the complexity that is under the definitions of what is a long-term care pharmacy. It is up to you. It's just part of your job as running a long-term care pharmacy throughout the country to engage and reach out to your legislators and say, hey, how would you like to do a uh, awareness day, an education day? Come down to our, our facility, come down to our pharmacy, look at our packaging, look at our technology, look at our systems, look how it's very different for long-term care and senior care services in comparison to our community. And if you have a community pharmacy out front, or if you have another community pharmacy that's in another premise, maybe make that a, a contrast and compare demonstration for that opportunity to bring in someone like Senator Scott. But what do you think of educating our politicians by getting them involved at some of these long-term care pharmacies, Alan? Absolutely essential. Uh, the single the single most impactful thing that we have done to sensitize elected officials and their staff 
to the, the differences between long-term care pharmacy and other kinds of pharmacy like retail or mail order and the value that long-term care pharmacies deliver and how, how complicated it is, is to get them into pharmacies. Uh, and we tried to do that. Um, Senator Scott actually, you know, uh, was was familiar with with all of this from the outset of SCPC. And it's one of the, and that familiarity, as well as, frankly, constituents in South Carolina reaching out to him and, and encouraging him to you know, get involved in this bill that led him to become our lead lead sponsor, uh, you know, on the Republican side in the Senate. Very much, very, very much the first member of Congress who said, I will I will help you get this bill done and has very aggressively done it. Having said that, let's not let's also keep in mind that his his counterpart on the Democratic side was Senator Mark Warner from Virginia. And over the course of the last two years, we've had 20 other senators uh, agree to co-sponsor the bill. Uh, and we've also built about the same number of House sponsors um, for the bill. So, you know, we're getting more and more support. And this actually, although I, I you know, I don't want to um, divert from where you, you wanted to take the conversation, I will mention that this is a really good example of how uh, a lot of the work by SEPC and by some of the other groups that you've mentioned has, over the past five or six years, really broadened awareness on the Hill of issues around long-term care pharmacy and their distinct characteristics and unique value, and also around uh, awareness of PBMs and concerns about PBMs. Yep. You know, and so like like five or six years ago, I doubt more than a handful of members of Congress could tell you what a PBM was. Exactly. Uh, now, pretty much everybody knows what a PBM is and has an opinion on it, and and a growing number have more concerns than admiration for PBMs, yeah. and that's exactly where we need things to be on that front. So if, if you want to talk a little bit more about the definition, I'm happy to do it, but I also wanted to make some point, make the points about PBMs too. Yeah, and I want to go back to the tour and encouraging pharmacies that are out there to engage your um, state representatives, your your state senators with an invitation to come take a tour once every two to three years to get them to refresh, to understand some mm -hmm. of the challenges that you go through. I want to talk about the technology that's helping to run these long-term care pharmacies. At the break, we just uh, gave a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, which was Softwriters. Um, kind of near and dear to my heart because it was my entry into pharmacy way back in 2004. They were the first SQL-based pharmacy management system that concentrated specifically on institutional pharmacy. And that was a powerful. And back then, if you, I mean, you probably didn't realize, but the character-based systems, which were um, used for community pharmacy, were expected to run complex long-term care and assisted living pharmacies. And it was it was horrible for workflow. And now today, of course, with the with the evolution of of very specific um, software management systems, they are an amazing support not only um, to the coalition but uh, to the to the industry at large. So just a shout out to Softwriters. Yeah, uh, thank thanks, uh, Todd. And I want to echo the fact that you know Softwriters has been a a tremendous supporter not only of your podcast but of SEPC and of the sector in general. Uh, I can't I can't. Um, you know, they are among one of our largest uh, supporters um, from the business community that, you know, uh, interacts with long-term care pharmacies. And, you know, um, I also want to echo your point about technology and the importance of technology in delivering effective pharmacy services 
and you know minimizing the costs of doing so. Um, it's crucial, and it will be even more crucial as as you know our our payment systems evolve. Um, so, you know, couldn't agree more, and I'm glad to see that they're supporting you as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's a uh, it's just getting in line with each other to support where we know um, we're most powerful. You're so most powerful, and really bringing together all of this information and really helping to drive the bills forward. I want to know what the next stage is. We we know that the definition has to be accepted, needs to be um, put into to to play as as a policy. But I think it's a stage set for us to be sensitive, and our policymakers to also be sensitive that if something comes up with the influx of the baby boomers, and there's a condition that we know that senior care pharmacists are focused on, that now takes up more of their time than maybe the standard one hour review of medication management or something that SCPC has to be ready to say, Hey, we need to adjust this law just a little bit to make sure that we're not missing out on comorbidity or uh, dementia or some condition that we know is going to take up bringing in a psychiatrist or, or whatever. But can you kind of tell us what that next stage is in defining this bill? Absolutely. Before I do that, though, two two final points about getting people into into pharmacies, you know, long term care pharmacies in particular. In this case, the first is that um, you know uh, we SCPC help to coordinate those for our members. It's kind of one of the one of the ancillary member benefits that one gets. And there are also we also have a kind of a short list of members that we'd love to get into facilities, into pharmacies rather, because they sit on key committees, are in leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Second point I would make is that do not neglect staff, right? And um, you know, if you're if you're talking about a House member or a Senate Senate member of the Senate, they will have local staff or state staff, uh, and so they who are who are focused on constituent relationships. And those are important people to know and build build uh, you know a, a, a more a deeper relationship with. Similarly, very often the staff that work in Washington on policy will go visit the district or visit the state at various times of year, particularly during the August recess, which is a great time to get them in because they're on the substantive side. And so you you know the more you understand how a congressional office works, the more effective your outreach can be, and it matters. Now let's talk about where we go from here. Yeah. Um, frankly, the, 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 where we go, where we go from here, we are already help, trying to go towards. And um, uh, part of that is is all the PBM stuff, which I'll defer for the moment. Hopefully, we'll get to it before we're done. But really, focus on the evolving market with respect to long term care pharmacy services at home. You know, and uh, I mean, we started this conversation a little bit earlier. Your listeners, many of whom, probably all of them, understand that right now, the Part D program uh, allows but does not require Part D plans to pay higher dispensing fees for the kinds of services we've been talking about provided in assisted living or providing at home, provided at home for a subset of Part D beneficiaries. And that subset is defined by the need for long-term care. Mm-hmm. Now, the technical proxy that CMS uses is if the Part D enrollee has a, quote, institutional level of care or has institutional level of care needs, close quote, then the plan is 
authorized if it wants to to pay for these services, right? And that and and they pay for it, of course, through a higher dispensing fee. Now, the logic there is that CMS wants to make sure that the services that are provided are for people who actually need them. Mm-hmm. And so the institutional level of care need is a standard that that is from the Medicaid statute. And it basically says that states have to establish their own criteria for what that means for their state Medicaid programs. And only people who meet those eligibility criteria are qualified to be admitted to a skilled nursing to a nursing facility, not a skilled nursing facility, a nursing facility or an intermediate care facility, or can be eligible for home and community-based programs, uh, waiver programs, right? And so CMS use, has used that in this, this Part D guidance, and they've also used it for so-called special needs plans, which are you know Medicare, uh, you know a, a flavor, if you will, of Medicare Advantage plans focused on certain populations like the population that needs an institutional level of care. So this is one predicate that it might make sense to proceed with. I mentioned earlier that there is an alliance of uh, a number of long-term care pharmacies as well as uh, SCPC, ASCAP, um, NCPA, and, and, and the GPOs, PSAOs that are involved in this space, uh, you know, around a, a, a real, a really aggressive push to move the um, long-term care pharmacy at home agenda forward. And that group has focused on creating an eligibility standard, creating, um, you know, creating uh, the services that are part of the long, you know, the, the package for the, that those eligible patients. And then thinking through how to create a, create new funding streams organized around the services. Right. So that I think is where part of the future is going, but we, we have to do that while being mindful of what is what the biggest challenges are today. And unfortunately, you know, we're still in a situation where the nursing home sector uh, and to a lesser extent, the assisted living sector have not fully recovered from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Occupancy is still lower than it was. Workforce costs are higher and, and, and you know, staffing is is not as robust as it was before the pandemic, all of which mean occupancy is lower and will and will stay lower. With that, there are fewer prescriptions and so forth and so on. So, so on the payment side, from at least from Part A, and to a, le- a lesser extent from other payment programs, and you know, and and privately, long-term care pharmacies are getting squeezed on the revenue side. Right, they're always getting squeezed on the revenue side by by PBMs, nickel and diming, and you know. Uh, requiring various administrative hurdles that increase costs, you know, and, and so on. And that remains a very disturbing and troubling dynamic for the sector, which is not, you know, which can, which is just an ongoing, how do we get paid right now for the services that we provide without going broke? And that's a real challenge. Yeah. And then layer on top of that, the, the, you know, drug pricing reforms, basically Medicare's ability to negotiate prices and the implications of that, because let's assume that the Medicare price negotiations are successful, right? That they really do dramatically reduce what Part D and Part B are paying for prescription drugs. Okay. Uh, well, what what does that translate into in terms of the, um, you know, the, the, the drug distribution channels? Well, it means that rebates are going to be lower, for for manufacturers and for insurers. So they're going to be losing substantial revenue. And remember, the government is starting with most expensive drugs for those two programs. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so 
so they're they're focused obviously on brands and they're focused on the ones that are the most costly not only in terms of price but it's a combination it's a multiplier right price times utilization so that so you know and, and later this year cms is supposed to announce the first 10 drugs that they're going to be negotiating which will then those prices will be effective in 2026 so rebates will have to drop dramatically and the, and the the way that rebates throw flow through the payment system will have to drop dramatically, which means that that has implications for PSAOs, for GPOs, for wholesalers, for pharmacies, for PBMs, et cetera. So there's going to be a potentially very substantial squeeze on the revenue side, mm -hmm. right? Which you know, which also, by the way, creates incentives for plans and PBMs to be even more parsimonious in what they pay pharmacies. So on top of the current situation, you're going to see, and you know what, what we're fearful you will see is an environment where um, the PBMs have more and more incentives to, you know, push all the harder on lower reimbursements, lower dispensing fees, and and more more tack on fees. Let me stop. Let me st finish with the tack on fees because, as you know, last year CMS published, you know, re revamped the the DAR fee regulations such that plans have to pass or you know PBMs of technically plans have to pass through any of those fees to the beneficiary at point of sale. But let's think about what that means for a minute. What that means is that if a beneficiary has a 20% copay, they get 20% of the fees. Doesn't mean the PBM and the plans can can no longer charge the fees. Doesn't mean they can't increase the fees. And so one of our concerns is that when this is actually implemented, PBMs will pass through a fair amount of money to consumers, which is great. We love that. We love the fact that they have to pay less, but we're going to pay more. Pharmacies are going to pay more because the PBMs are going to say, well, we're not going to, we're going to bear that loss. You, the pharmacies have to bear the loss and you can kind of do the math and figure out a way that they can increase fees to the point that they maintain their profits or their revenues, right. even though they're doing a pass through. So there are a lot of things that we need to be very aware of, not only with respect to the long-term care pharmacy at home market, but to the way that the current market that is a little bit more focused on facility-based populations, you know, what, what are the current pressures and what are the pressures that are going to likely emerge over the next three or four years so that we, from the Washington point of view, are pushing back as hard as we can in the policy arena. There's enough money care for our patients in the system it's just being pushed and allotted to uh unbalanced areas and and that of course is what what the pbm model is right now and it, it just needs to be unclogged to assure that patients are getting the the, ex, the explicit and specific services that they need exactly and this is also why the the notion of of finding other funding streams for long-term care pharmacy services distinct from you know prescription drug plans and um pbms is so crucial yep. and and one of the things that that is happening right now in congress and that i think may be our best opportunity to create the predicate for that is an initiative that six senators led by senator cassidy from louisiana started late last year around trying to identify policies policy changes that would make it um, that would better coordinate care for people who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, mm -hmm. and that also would have the impact, of course, of reducing overall spending on both programs, or at least 
more accurately, slowing the, 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 the growth curve for, for expenditures. And from our point of view, from the SVPC point of view, this is a wonderful opportunity for long-term care pharmacies to make their case. And to, not only that, that, that their services reduce overall healthcare costs over time, for in a lot of different ways, but also that by 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 you know paying for them through things other than dispensing fees, that the government will reap the most benefit from the services that we provide. And so, just to be just to you know run through it, there are, this is a bipartisan effort by six senators on the Republican side: Senators Cassidy from Louisiana, Cornyn from Texas, and. Um, Scott from Tim Scott from South Carolina, who you mentioned yeah. on the Democratic side, Mark Warner from Virginia, um, uh, uh, Bob Menendez from New Jersey and Tom Carper from Delaware. I'll point out that four of those six senators are either lead sponsors or co-sponsors of the definition bill and therefore are very well aware of the value that long term care pharmacy brings to the table. Yeah. In addition, this is a core group of, of senators who are viewed as more moderate within their respective parties uh, and, and have a track record of participating in freestanding initiatives that have ultimately culminated in legislation, right? So, you know, that I think is really important. All of these senators are on the Senate Finance Committee, which has jurisdiction over Medicare and Medicaid. And so I expect that this could become a real vehicle for policy changes in this Congress by the end of 2020, um, 2024. Now, they <clears throat> solicited public comments. SCPC was one of 140 different groups that commented. But here, here's, the, here's the nub of it, Scott, uh, uh, Todd. Um, obviously, the dual eligibles are the most expensive per capita beneficiaries of both Medicare and Medicaid. Mm -hmm. On the Medicaid side, that's, that, a lot of the reason for that is long-term care. Right, uh, which of course feeds back to the Part D program because so many of the dual eligibles are also Part D eligible. Not all, but yep. a very high percentage. Okay, and so if you look at the most costly patients for Medicare and Medicaid, you know that group, the most costly patients within that group are those who need long-term care. So that's that's those are the those are the, the patients that long term care pharmacies can serve in ways that improve their outcomes, keep them at home longer, reduce their costs. And so that's the case that we as a sector have to be trying to make with those, starting with those six senators and starting, frankly, starting two months ago, which in SEPC's case we've been doing. But I would encourage the, everybody in this sector to think about that as the best opportunity to move in, in a way that expands, uh, you know, uh, expands the long-term care pharmacy at home market and that recognizes a new funding stream, a different funding stream for the services so that we're not constantly trying to, you know, negotiate uh, a dispensing fee that already is problematically low, even for nursing homes. I would like to applaud uh, Senators Carper, Cornyn, Mendez, Scott, Warner, um, Senator Cassidy in their efforts in doing this, the bipartisan, that's the way our government is supposed to act with each other. You can be dis, you know, respectfully disagree, but move forward in commonality, you know, in common bonds with each other. And every single one of those people had a mother and father that 
some of them may be, um, you know, seniors and and are um, are needing care. So I I love seeing the the coming together of both sides of the aisle and um, and just want to give a shout out to those policymakers for stepping up. Well, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Well. I can't believe how fast our time goes uh, by, Alan, but the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition is really starting to become a constant provider of updated information on the PBM Reform Podcast, and we so much appreciate it. Where can we see you um, in in the rest of 2023? What conferences will the SCPC be at this year? Well, the, the first and most important, frankly, is the SCPC Annual Meeting and Business Partners Summit in July. Uh, where, you know, we, it's open to all of our members. Um, we will also, you know, make it available to folks who are interested in membership. Uh, and uh, it is the the most, uh, you know, the best opportunity to see what SCPC does for a living and what SCPC does that benefits the long-term care pharmacy sector. Second, I actually don't have a speaking agenda yet this year. I very often uh, am invited to speak at, you know, various business uh, meeting meetings and of folks in the sector, particularly some of our business partners. In the past, I've I've uh, spoken at the Premier Innovatics meetings, at uh, Cardinals meetings, at McKesson, um, Marisource Bergen, and you know um, I would expect that at one point or another I'll be invited to do that as well. But I have nothing actually on the docket yet this year. It's still early. So we're planning to attend uh, several uh, conferences for the remainder of the year, and I'd like to be, I'd like to return to the ASCP, uh, the ASCP in November at some point. And if you're going to be there, I'd like to get a panel put together for us to really dig into updating policy. And I think that would be perfect November, that time of year where we're heightened when it comes to to policy and and changes to um, even participation in in local governments and state governments, but let's plan on connecting at the, um, at the ACP 2023. That would be great. If you invite me, I'll be there. Excellent. Um, <laughs> pharmacy podcast network. Um, we so much appreciate what you do. You pharmacists out there, you technicians out there. If there's anyone in senior care pharmacy that would like a little bit more information on this subject that would like to talk with Alan, please go to seniorcarepharmacies.org. Once again, that's seniorcarepharmacies.org. That uh, link to the website to the SCPC will be in our show notes. Alan, um, don't uh, don't don't be a stranger for too much longer. Let's try to keep these conversations going and getting us updates to the P- PBM Reform Podcast Series. So I m- much appreciate you. Thank you, Todd. Uh, I appreciate everything that you do. I think it's great for the sector, and I'm glad to be part of it. Thank you. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.